0: Good morning, good to see you, and um, if this is your first time or maybe second time to downtown Pres, I want to say a special welcome, and it's always great to look around and see some faces that we don't know, and we don't take that lightly, and so welcome, and if I haven't met you, my name is Brian Habig, I'm one of the pastors here, that was Jake Patton, another pastor that was leading us in worship, but we're glad you're here, and hope uh, if there's any questions we can answer, you'll let one of us know, and we can figure out what to what to do. Uh, We're in a series on a book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. Uh, This is the book that comes after the four Gospels. At the beginning of the New Testament, you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you get this book called Acts. It's sort of a bridge that helps you understand how did knowing about Jesus and people believing in Jesus, how did that go from a really small group of people to this thing all over the world? Because then the rest of the New Testament, you've got letters to... um, all, all these different parts of the world to Christians. So the book of Acts says how that happened. And um, so we're just a few weeks into studying this. We're going to be in chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow there in the bulletin. You know, I printed out a larger version of this, and then I walked out without it. So you'll see me reading this text like this. Uh, that was as big a font as we could get to to fit in the bulletin. So, but do the best you can. Think about this. Uh, if um, If there's anything that reality TV shows must say about us, which is kind of a frightening way to frame any idea or thought, but if there's something that reality TV shows seem to say about us is that we love before and after. We just, we love looking at before and after. We like before and after cars. Um, yay verily, pimp my ride. Uh, we love before and after of, uh, let's see, let's uh, hotels fixing them up. We love before and after of houses. There are multiple shows about before and after of houses. We love it, love it, love it. Here's how horrible this room was before. Here's how great and beautiful and sunny it is now and tasteful. We love before and after about people. You know, we love before and after of somebody that they, uh, they really got out of shape. Maybe they had become um, dangerously overweight and they they physically transform. We love that before and after. And we we like, and we like seeing the picture. Here's before and here's after. Hardest before and after is not the body though. It's, it's your insides. You know, so you, you can, you can lose 300 pounds and still not transform on your insides, even as your outsides are transformed. Uh the, the before and after of a transformed person is the most amazing before and after, I think, that, that you can see. And I want you to think about that going into this passage because it, we're, just, we're having to just kind of dive into something that's already midway in the book of Acts. And you can miss a before and after. Before I read this passage, I, re- I really want you to keep this in mind. We've said this before, but I, I want to keep reminding us. The book of Acts is sort of like volume 2. And there's a volume 1. Volume 1 is what we call the Gospel of Luke. Both the books are written by Luke. And they're both written to the same reader. The same recipient is a guy named Theophilus. So, Gospel of Luke, volume 1. What we call the book of Acts, volume 2. If you you were a reader and you had read through volume 1, before you got to volume 2, you would have read Luke's account of Jesus saying to the apostle Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's saying, Lord, there is no way that can happen. I would die before I would deny you. And Jesus is arrested. He is taken in front of the power brokers of Jerusalem, the Jewish authority leaders, the Jewish council. And Peter, not even in front of that council, but kind of hanging back to watch and see what happens to Jesus, is confronted by a slave girl that's identified with one of the people on that council. She starts asking him who he is, and she says, I think you know that Jesus. I think you've got the same accent as that Jesus, and he denies him. Uses swear words to say, I don't even know who you're talking about. Just caves. Now, the passage that we're about to read is at most a few months later from him doing that. And I want you to hear what Peter sounds like now. And I want us to think about how did this before and after happen in the life of the Apostle Peter? The context is this. Peter and John, you know, the famous ones, Apostle Peter, Apostle John, followers of Jesus. They were going to the temple to pray, the temple in Jerusalem. And, you know, there were set times to pray. They kept doing that as Christians. They kept going to those Jewish times of prayer. And there was a man who was set there. He was, he was a lifelong uh, man who, uh, who had been lame, And so he had people that would set him there to to ask and to beg people going to the temple so he could have money. And um, Peter saw him and said to him, I don't have gold or silver, but here's what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. And all these people saw it and they knew this actually happened. It was jarring to the religious leaders of that day. So Peter and John are brought before the Jewish council. That lame man who can now walk is standing beside them. And here's what happens. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident." to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was, per, uh, was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we need you to speak the Word to us. We need your Word. Uh, The speaker needs boldness. And we need open hearts. Thank you that your Word is like no other word. Uh, if it cuts, it's a healing cut. It's not a shaming cut, it's a healing cut. If it comforts, it comforts in a way that brings life and health. It doesn't just anesthetize, it heals. So give us your word, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I I can't prove that this is uh, the case, and I don't have documentation for this, but I do think that what I'm about to tell you is true. I think that in the almost 12 years I've gotten to be a pastor at Downtown Prez, if if you had a tally of who have I quoted the most or cited the most or alluded to the most as far as a writer or thinker, I think it would be C.S. Lewis. Didn't intend for it to be that way. Just, he said so many things so well. He just had such a way with words, such a command of English, such a great mind, and he wrote about so many things. And it was amazing that God brought an intellect like that to himself and how God used that. We did a study this past fall on the life and work of C.S. Lewis. So it's probably wise every once in a while for me to quote him where I think he got something wrong. Because nobody gets everything right. And that's the difference between us and God. God is infallible and we are fallible. I grew up reading um, a set of children's stories by Lewis called The Chronicles of Narnia. And I wouldn't want to try to rank them, but definitely one of my favorite ones would be the last one, The Last Battle. And it's really Lewis's way of conveying realities about what is it like for the people of God to die and be in heaven with God, Or really, you could say, what is it like for the earth to become heaven? And so you get this vision at the end of the book of these people that have been through all these stories coming together and seeing each other, even really before they've totally realized that they've died. And they come into Aslan's country. Aslan is the great lion, huge lion that represents Jesus. Very clearly, he's the Christ figure in those stories. They meet Jesus in, uh, in Aslan's country, and their joy just overflows. But there's this, there's this interesting little twist in the last battle is that when these characters start to come in to Aslan's country, they don't, they don't know they're dead yet. They meet this young man, and he's not a Narnian. He's from Calarmin, or Calarmin. And his name is Emeth. And Emeth, that's the Hebrew word for truth. And they're speaking with Emeth. He speaks in this very high register. He, spe- he almost speaks in King James English, the way Lewis wrote it. And he tells him this. He says that... I. I I've always been a worshiper of Tash. That was the deity of the Calermens. And so he had always worshiped Tash, but when he met Aslan, his heart overflowed. He knew he was in the presence of the divine. And when he spoke with Aslan, Aslan reassures him that as you looked to Tash and believed in Tash and served him, when you did things that were good and true, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. When you did things that were good and true and right and beautiful, you were serving me. You just knew me by another name. And there's at least one other place in Lewis's writings where he sort of just puts it out there that, that he thinks there can be people who, worshiping a God by another name in another form, are actually serving the one true God and actually knowing Jesus. And I, I would say this. I get the appeal of that and I I get it for at least a couple of reasons because I have had friends that don't believe in Jesus and I like them and I want them all to be okay that's the first reason, the second reason is we live in a big old world with a lot of different religions and a lot of different viewpoints and I want these people to be okay and you do too I get the appeal of that. But you know what? This text really pushes on that. Because Peter and John are brought up before the Jewish leadership of their day. It's hard for us to get how intimidating the setting is for them. All Peter had to say was, you know what? Brothers and fathers... In this we agree that there is no salvation except through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He probably would have been fine. That's all he would have had to say. And, he, and you know what? Biblically, he would be right. All, the only way men and women may be saved is by the name of Yahweh, our great God. But what, whom they all believe in, whose law they study and follow. But what does Peter say? Fathers and brothers, there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus. It's the only name by which we may be saved. And you know what? And I, You may have noticed this. I tried to read it in such a way that it emphasized this. Name is the thread that runs all the way through this account. It starts way back in chapter 3 of Acts. With Peter seeing the beggar, the beggar thinks he's about to give him money, and him saying, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And all these people see it, and they all go crazy. Public miracle. And Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't look at us as if by our own goodness we did this. We did this in the name of Jesus. But then they're in big trouble, and they're brought before the authorities. And what did the authorities ask them? In whose name do you do this? And boy, Peter answers clearly. We did it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then what's the threat? Do not speak in this name anymore. Name, 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 name. So let's think about this name this morning, all right? Let's think about it this way. Think about the prediction about the name, the urgency of the name, and the effect of the name. All right, a prediction about the name, the urgency of the name, the effect of the name. All right, what's, what's the prediction about the name? And again, again, you're going to hear me saying this as we go through this series. The, let's think of the Gospel of Luke as Volume 1 and the Book of Acts as Volume 2. Now, we're in Volume 2. Think about if you were reading through that, what would you have heard Jesus promise in Volume 1? Let me, let me read you something that Luke records. Uh, Luke records. Luke chapter 21, verse 17. He says to the apostles, Peter would have been right there, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And what does that mean? That mean that people just hate those particular consonants and vowels. It means, because you are identified with me, because you're identified with me, you will be hated by all. And how does that show up in the passage? Look in verse verse 17 and 18. In order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter says, you know, we, we can't stop. But then verse 21. When they had further threatened them, they let them go. We can't punish you, but we threaten you. Don't you dare talk in this name anymore. Now, I want you to think about that. That's something that Jesus promised, and the rest of the New Testament says that's what you should expect. The Apostle Paul, who bumped into quite a bit of pushback in his ministry, wrote this, that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I want you to think about Go from their situation to our situation. We're in Greenville. Greenville is a very churched place. It's churched enough that if you want to, you can carve out a life where you live in sort of a Christian cocoon. Now, that's our situation. All right, now go back to Peter and John. How many people became Christians when Peter got up, when the Holy Spirit was poured out? We looked at this last the last two Sundays, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and Peter got up and preached, how many people became new Christians that day? Luke says about 3,000. And this is not in the bulletin, but by chapter 4, however, however much longer that was, maybe a few months, weeks, I don't know, it says that there were 5,000 Christians. That's a, that's a mega church. In one city. This is not in multiple cities. In Jerusalem, there are now at least 5,000 Christians. And think about, with that kind of critical mass of people, if Peter and John had wanted to, they could just retreat into a large community of people and live their Christian life as followers of Jesus and, like, I hope it works out for everybody else and maybe we'll pick up some people along the way. But what were they called to do? Push out into the world and witness to him. And Jesus says this, if you do that and you're identified with me, you'll get pushed back. So let's go back to us. Do you ever get pushed back? Now, I'm not assuming that everybody here identifies themselves with Jesus. I mean, something that we always want to be true is that there's people in the room processing this and thinking about this. People in the room who are saying, I'm not there yet. I haven't decided to believe in Jesus and follow him yet. So I'm not so much asking that question of you, but I'm asking that of those of you who have. I mean, so much so that you've been baptized into his name. That's to go public with identification with Jesus. Quite literally, to be baptized into his name, to wear his name. Let me ask you it another way. Is your, identifi- is your identification with Jesus in the city of Greenville, is it always good for your reputation? Is it always good for business? Because interestingly, Luke volume 1, what does he record Jesus saying? And, and wow, for we who are people pleasers, for we who want everybody to like us, these are like the least favorite thing, words maybe Jesus ever said. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you. Woe to you when, you're never, when there's never pushback. Woe to you when it's never expensive for you that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. But, and here's the thing. That can be a diagnostic of if i would never experienced that, if it's never relationally, even emotionally expensive for me to wear the Christian name, that's probably a diagnostic that's showing us what? I have, I have formed a cocoon. I have figured out a way to have a Christian community around me so I don't have to push into where it might get dangerous. And the call of God is, you know what? That, I want you to go out there too. I want you to be with your brothers and sisters. In fact, we're going to get to that in a second. And then I want you to push back out. But the prediction about the name is, you'll get pushback. What about the urgency of the name? And I've already quoted this, but let's read it again. Verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when Peter stands up and says that, all he's doing is echoing what he heard from Jesus. Jesus. What did Jesus say? This is a very famous verse, John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then Jesus says this. No one comes to the Father except, it doesn't say through my teaching, through my dogma. No one comes to the Father but through me, the person. The Apostle Paul echoes that. He he writes in one of his letters, There is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Exclusive claims. When Peter says that, he's echoing what he heard from Jesus. You can't go through anyone or anything else but through him. He's the only name. Now, again, to say that in front of a Jewish council... He's basically in their ears to say blasphemy. He didn't say, you can only be saved through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the thing is, Peter does believe that. But here's the crazy, baffling theological reality is that he believes that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob became a man. And his name is Jesus. And he rose from the dead, and he's at the Father's right hand. You have to believe in him to be saved. That would be jarring to the people who heard him, and it is jarring to us because why? Like we just said, we have friends, we have family members, we take an interest in other uh, other parts of the world, other communities that don't believe like we do, and we want them to be okay. Should we be so exclusive? And maybe you've heard this parable before. Can we be so exclusive? Have you ever heard the parable of the elephant and the blind men? You ever heard? I see a few heads nodding. Here's the parable of the, of the elephant and the blind men. It's meant to be a parable to help us understand about where do we fit in world religions. Here's the parable. You've got an elephant. I probably gave that away at that, um, with it being the parable of the elephant and the blind men. And you've got blind men. And as it turns out, the blind men, they are sent... That they are brought to an elephant and they are supposed to describe what is an elephant. And so one blind man has the tail and he says, An elephant is like a rope. And one blind man has a leg of the elephant. He says, An elephant is like a tree trunk. And one blind man has his hand on the side of the elephant. He says, An elephant's like a wall. And one blind man has his hand on the ears. He says, An elephant is like a giant fan. And one blind man has his hands on the, the elephant's trunk. And he says, uh, no, no, no. An elephant is like a giant snake. And the way the parable works is to say this. Now look, those blind men are like the, the religious traditions of the world. The world religions. And the elephant is the divine. Is, is God as we understand him or it. And so... They come to this thing and in some ways they're true. The man with his hand on the side who's saying an elephant's like a wall, he's on to something. It, it is like a wall. The one who's got the, the leg of the elephant is saying, no, an elephant's like a tree trunk. He's on to something. It is like a tree trunk. But nobody has the whole picture. And that parable sounds like humility. Like it sounds gracious and humble. Like, you know, really, none of us have the whole picture except what is, what's the problem? With that parable, is that whoever is telling the parable is saying, you know what? No one sees the, the whole elephant except me. Or you know what? Truth and spirituality in our journey toward God is like a big mountain with God or the divine or whatever at the top of the mountain. And there are multiple roads going up this mountain, but. You can take your different trek, you can take your different direction, but they all lead to the same pinnacle. We're all, in our different journeys, making our way to the same pinnacle. And it sounds humble, but, the, but what are we saying? And I alone have downloaded Google Earth and can see the whole mountain. The world religions can't, the different religious adherents can't, I can't. To be a disciple of Jesus is to buy buy into what he said. To be a disciple of Jesus is to sit at his feet and say, you tell me what is true, and here's what he says is true. There is no other way. And you know, you think about, wow, that sounds so exclusive. There is an exclusivity to it, too. And, of course, where our hearts want to jump is, what about the good Muslim? What about the, the, the good Hindu? What about the good agnostic? What about my friends who are so gracious and humble, but they, uh, they're not that spiritually minded, and I'm kind of like blown away by how much more gracious and kind they are than me? I, I definitely get the appeal of that. But do you realize how exclusive that is? What about all the good people? Won't they be okay? What about the bad people? How good do you have to be? To get to the top of the mountain. Because Jesus, on the one hand, the most exclusive claims that have ever been made you can't go to the Father except through me in my name. Exclusive. And let's not pretend like they're not. But who has ever been more inclusive to say, whoever can come? The prostitute. The murderer. The adulterer. The failure. The churched hypocrite with secrets. Who keeps saying to God, okay, this time, this 17,000th time, I promise I won't do that thing that I do in secret. Whoever will may come. Inclusive. And that is the urgency of the name. Is that... There is no other name by, which, by whom we come to the Father. But what's inclusive about it? Whoever will can come. Whoever. God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him, they won't perish. They'll have everlasting life. That's the urgency. Well, what about the effect of the name? And I learned something this week, in, in, just in, in digging into this passage a little bit more, and I don't know if this will hit you the way it hit me, but one thing is that, according to the, the, the historic sources, the way the Jewish, that Jewish council would have been sitting, they'd be sitting in a semicircle. So it would it maybe be several rows deep, and it would arc around the, the defendants. So here, are Peter and John, seems to be the, the man that's been healed, is standing with them, and these intimidating figures, and look... You know how magazines in Greenville will have things like 50 most influential people people, or, you know, 30 people under 30. Here are the movers and shakers in our city, in our region. It's not like these would be the men who would be in those lists in Jerusalem. It is a slam dunk. These would be the men. They're not just clergy. They were the leaders. Some of them were the wealthy leaders of that area. So they surround Peter and John, and one historian named Josephus, he said the norm was when you appeared before the Sanhedrin is that you'd wear funeral clothes. We don't really have funeral clothes in our day, but you know, cultures will have, this is the thing you wear to a funeral. You're supposed to put that outfit on to say like, okay, if I'm in big enough trouble to be here, whoo, I'm so sorry, I'm crying like it's a funeral. What they did not expect was a sermon. And Peter and John walk in And they are so, they're not disrespectful, but they are so clear and so forthright. What does it say? It says that those men were blown away by their what? Their boldness. That's a great term in the book of Acts. The next to the last word in the Greek New Testament in Acts is boldness. Is that the word of God just kept going out with boldness. Where did Peter get that boldness? Where do we think boldness comes from? Like, when we think of, man, somebody who will talk to anybody about Jesus, where do we tend to think it comes from? And you know where we tend to think it comes from? is smarts. Like, man, I wish I was one of those people who just read so much, and they know philosophy, and they can quote cool things from The Economist, and they can just kind of mix it up and just, like, set them up and knock them down. Look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. These are not Cambridge guys. These are not Harvard guys. These are not philosophical guys. They're not trained in the Torah. But they are, they are bold. Let's threaten them and send them home. So then what do they do? They go back to their people, okay? They circle up with their people and they pray. And what do they ask for? Boldness. Verses 29 and 31, what do they say? Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant, give to your servants to continue to speak your word with all... Boldness. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And in the Old Testament, when God would show up somewhere, there'd be an earthquake. And guess what happens? Lord, be with us to be bold. And what happens? In verse 31. The place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ, and as we've been talking about, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and you're called to go out into Greenville, into your neighborhoods, into your workplace, other states, other countries, and be His witness, does it frighten you? It should. It's jarring. We're afraid. Have you ever asked God for boldness? Did you know that you can ask God for boldness? And that he, get, like, he gives a man who denied Jesus after living with him for three years, he gave him such boldness it shocked the hearers. We have that same God. But let me end with this. I just got to tell you the thing that, that just grabbed me that I never noticed before read this passage a bunch of times. I never noticed this before. I think somehow in my, in my ears, I always heard Peter standing up saying, there's no other name by which people can be saved. Like it's a theological principle. There's no other name by which human beings can be saved. Verse 12, what did he say? And I looked it up in the Greek and this is what he said. There is no other name by which we You know what he just said to those men? When he said we, you realize what he just said? There's no other name by which Peter can be saved. There's no other name by which that lame man can, former lame man can be saved. And when he says we, he's saying, there's no other name by which you can be saved. And there was an early 70s movie called Brian's Song. And uh, it was about the life and death of a football player named Brian Piccolo. Played for the Chicago Bears. And there's this moving scene where his friend, uh, Gail Sayers, is receiving an award. And it's, uh, it's the, it was the Hallis Award for Courage. So he stands up to re- receive this award. It's a big honor. And he starts talking about, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get this award. Let me tell you, you should receive this award. My friend, Brian Piccolo, who's dying of cancer and fighting it. And my favorite line is where he says, I love Brian Piccolo. And I'd like all of you to to love Brian Piccolo too. Like, don't we all want a friend like that? The best witnessing, the best evangelism is not, well, look, if you don't believe in Jesus... Your system is broken. If you don't believe in Jesus, you'll go to hell. You know what the best witnessing is? I love Jesus because he first loved me. But you know what? I would like you to love Jesus too. God made Peter bold to say that to men who didn't want to hear it. God can make us bold to say that in our lives to people who don't want to hear that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Spirit who who changes people, makes timid men bold. Would You give us boldness in our offices, in our homes, apartment complexes, families, and beyond Greenville? Make us bold. You loved us, and because You loved us, we love Jesus. We want others to love Him too. So make us bold in in Greenville. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.